sermon series in the book of Exodus last week. You can find that in your pew Bible on page 45 if you didn't bring a Bible. We began last week with a story that begins with Jacob's family down in Egypt doing quite well, flourishing in fact, as God commanded them to be fruitful and to multiply the sons and daughters of Israel, this distinct people group, are in a foreign land, but they are doing quite well. Thank you very much. But then everything goes to pot. It all fell apart when a new pharaoh took over. And this new pharaoh, he had no knowledge, or at least it says he didn't know who Joseph was. Joseph the Hebrew, who had helped the Egyptians so much. All this pharaoh knew was that he had an immigration problem. And what do tyrants do about their problems? They bully and terrorize. And so we read last week how the Pharaoh oppressed the people of Israel. He oppressed them. He afflicted them. He enslaved them. The message uh, last week was titled, God Behind the Scenes, Part 1. Today's Part 2. I told you that we would see God work through the suffering of his chosen people, that 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 help would come from unexpected places and by unlikely means. And we'll see that in today's text in just a minute. But that's all well and good. Here's the part I didn't tell you last week, but I'm going to tell you this week to prepare you for this text that when I first read it many years ago, it really was eye-popping and blew my mind about what's happening here in Exodus and its connection to all of God's story beginning in the book of Genesis. You ready? Here it is. Almighty God knew long ago that his chosen people, descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the patriarchs, were going to wind up in this situation. Almighty God knew long before that they were going to wind up in Egypt that they were going to be afflicted for 400 years. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 15, if you like, where God cuts a, a covenant with Abram, later to be called Abraham. And the Lord God says to, to Abraham, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and they will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. That's Genesis chapter 15, verses 13 and 14. Is the God of Scripture behind the scenes? You bet. You bet. Long before we get to the Exodus, God told Abraham what was going on to occur, how his plan was going to unfold. Then we jump to Genesis chapter 46, and we see here Jacob about to lead his family down to Egypt. Why? Why is he going to Egypt? Because the Lord directed him to go to Egypt. And the Lord spoke to Jacob in a vision, verse 2, saying, Here am I, and I am God, the God of your father, Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, 
and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. So way before we get to Exodus, God told Abraham what was going to happen. And now, when his descendant Jacob is about to go down into Egypt, God says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Enslaved, abused ruthlessly, don't be afraid. Why? What's going on? God says, don't be afraid. I will be with you, and I will make you a great nation. Could it be that if they hadn't gone to Egypt, they would not have fulfilled that plan that God had designed? They would not become the great nation? And then it says that that Jacob would die in Egypt, and that part about his eyes being closed, that he would die in Egypt, but that he would be buried in Canaan, along with Abraham and Isaac. This is very important as we're just getting started in our study of the book of Exodus. If it ever occurred to the Israelites that all of their troubles must have meant that they had taken a wrong turn or they were outside of God's will, this would surely have changed their mind, that it wasn't the case, that everything was unfolding according to to God's plan, that God had led them down to Egypt and accompanied them there. So we discover again the character of God. That's where we always start. That God is all-knowing, all-powerful, always present. That God is a promise-making and promise-keeping God. And this knowledge of God, that God provides, Jehovah Jireh, the one who provides, that provided the sacrifice of the lamb when, when Abraham and, and Isaac were up that mountain. The idea, the insight that we can have as Christians that God provides for us can give us a quality of faith that we're going to see in today's passage. So if you're taking notes, write down these three words. Three qualities of faith that come from this knowledge of God as our provider. Courageous faith, resilient faith, and expectant faith. Don't we all want that? You bet. Well, let's read now. Exodus 1, verses 15, through the the story of Moses' birth in chapter 2 to verse 10. Listen now to God's word. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was Shiphrah and the other Puah, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women... If it is a son, you shall kill him, but if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this and let the male children live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dwelt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but but you shall let every daughter live. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. 
When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrush, bulrushes and dabbed it with a butamen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because, she said, I drew him out of the water. Pharaoh kept increasing the pressure on this distinct minority group, but they only grew stronger. Discriminating against them wasn't enough. Enslaving them wasn't enough. Ruthlessly mistreating them wasn't enough. They only grew stronger. He was trying to stop an Israel, Israel, Israelite population boom from flooding the Nile Delta. And so tragically, we see here that he ordered the murder of the baby boys at birth. How many people were implicit in this evil plan? Who could stop it? The Pharaoh had absolute authority. There's no questioning of his ruling. The Pharaoh thought that he could put an end to his problem, but his problem were the chosen people of God. Who do you think is going to win that battle? Isaiah 14, 27, the Lord Almighty has purposed, and who can thwart him? His hand is stretched out. Who can turn it back? I love that word, thwart. Say that word with me, thwart. You say that three times fast, it will give you a, give you a, a, a tongue tied. Who can thwart his plans? Well, now we see in the story three examples of amazing women of faith, purposed by God to glorify God and to see God's purposes unfold. Look at verses 15 to 21. So first we meet these two courageous midwives. Now, a midwife is trained uh, to help in childbirth, childbirth. These women were dedicated to saving moms and babies. The last thing they would ever do is to take a life. Pharaoh had given them a direct order, but it says that they feared God. Fearing God means having such a reverence for him that it has such a great impact on the way you live. It impacts all the ways of your life. The fear of God is respecting God, obeying God, worshiping your creator. These midwives understood the character of their creator. So in an act of civil disobedience, these first pro-life heroines refused a direct order. 
they had the courage to stand up for what was right because they feared God more than they were afraid of Pharaoh. And I love that they didn't just refuse to comply, but they were very sly about it, weren't they? They sort of gave him a little bit more information than, than probably Pharaoh as a man would want to know. Okay, that's, that's more than I need to know. Get out of my, my courthouse. It's great. They had incredible, courageous faith, and God blesses them, it says in verses 20 to 21, because of their courageous faith. Next, we see resilient faith, the God-given ability to withstand hardship. And so we look at the last verse of chapter 1 through 2, 6. Moses' parents uh, are, are married in, in this dark and, and terribly uh, stressful time. We don't learn their names until chapter 6. It's, it's Amram and Jacobed are the parents of Moses. They were Levites. They were both Levites. They were probably distant cousins within the tribe of, of the Levites. Not first cousins or second or third, but they were among that uh, grouping of people. They were eventually to be the priestly line of Israel. This brave couple dared marry in a dark time, and she bore a son. Now, our text describes him as, quote, a fine child. You see, we sort of you could just pass that pretty quickly. But the Hebrew there is very significant. The word in Hebrew actually means good. Remember, there's a connection between Exodus and Genesis. The first time we see this word good is found in the story of creation, Genesis 1.31, where it says, God, God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. This is an echo of that. In the darkness and the confusion of the waters, God created and it was good. And here, in this darkness and the confusion of the waters, this fine child, this good child is created. But this was not only the birth of one man. This is the birth of a new people. Now just imagine for just a moment the fear that Moses' parents must have experienced, knowing that at any given moment their child could be taken from them, a three-month-old. Time was running out. They couldn't hide him any longer. Imagine what that would have been like. First-time parents, and I've experienced being a first-time parent, we're already really paranoid and freaked out about everything. We want to safety-proof everything. But after you have your second or third or fourth, by the fifth kid, like, where's the fifth one? You kind of can't really remember their names, right? Parents, you not, you know, it gets easier. But with your first one, everything has to be right. And did you wash your hands? And, and is this organic? And that's in the 21st century. Imagine what it would have been like for Jacobed and for her family, for Amran, knowing that their child could be taken from them if he was discovered. Rather than being paralyzed by fear, this resilient, resourceful mom places her baby boy in a little waterproof boat. But it's not just a boat. It's actually an ark. Again, the parallel, Exodus to Genesis. It's a little ark, just like Noah's ark. It's the same word. Now, technically, she is being compliant with Pharaoh's demand that the the boys be put in the Nile. So technically, she's doing what she was told to do. She places uh, the baby in the Nile on the river 
riverbank where there are crocodiles and hungry, hungry hippos hanging out. But she's very smart in crafting a safe boat, and God's protection being over that little boat, and in sending Miriam to keep an eye on him. She had faith that God would provide. And then we see verses 7 to 10, the expectant faith of Miriam, who was anticipating something was going to happen. And she noticed Pharaoh's daughter, the way her face changed when she looked at the baby. She intuitively knew the princess had a compassionate heart. We're talking about God behind the scenes. Imagine what God had done in the life of that princess. What were the life experiences that she had? How was she wired and created as she grew up in Pharaoh's house, not knowing her creator God, and yet prepared for this moment to make such an audacious choice? And so we see the audacity and the resourcefulness of Miriam to jump out and suggest to bring the baby's mother to nurse the child. Now, guys, we don't really get this, but ladies would know this ladies that are here who are moms or, or grandmas, I think these ladies knew who she was. She wasn't just a Hebrew woman. I think the princess knew what was going on and everything was agreed upon to care for this child. Now, Moses would always be Jacobed's son, but when he was fully weaned, he was adopted into Pharaoh's household. Moses did not grow up a slave but a son, safe and secure. In Acts chapter 7, verse 22, Stephen is preaching before the Sanhedrin, and he says of Moses, he says that he was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, the greatest training the world had to offer, a first-class education in linguistics, mathematics, astronomy, architecture, music, law, and the fine arts of diplomacy. In other words, Moses was being trained for Pharaoh's overthrow in Pharaoh's house, right under his nose. So far from losing his life too soon, he was rescued and raised in royal courts. And his own mom, worse than being labeled an illegal alien, she was a slave woman, was paid to bring him up and then to hand him to the princess of Egypt, and he became a prince. How about that for turning the tables on Pharaoh? His own flesh and blood takes Moses in and adopts him as her very own. What does this show us? It shows us that God is at work behind the scenes. She even gives him The name Moses, that is a Hebrew name. Some commentators think that there's also an Egyptian equivalent, but but I think that the text says the Hebrew version because she knew it was a Hebrew child, and when he was running around the playground and someone would hear, Moses, Moses, what's a Hebrew child doing here? Oh, no, no, he's not a slave child. He's a son. He's protected by the princess. Incredible. That nothing can thwart God's plans. Our God is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. Now let us not overlook 
what was not written, but what was implied in the text today. Yes, Moses was saved, but many innocent lives were still lost. Shephra and Pua were only two women. Many families were devastated. Many moms and dads, people that wanted to be mothers and fathers, would not be able to. It would be many decades later before Moses would begin his work. Yet God had a plan. There's something very basic in all of us, and that is a need to make sense of life. We need life to be logical. We're confused when we can't make sense of hardship and suffering. But friends, what you need and what I need is faith that God will provide in the darkest of days. And today's text teaches us that if we put our faith in God, if we cling to Jesus, he will give us a faith that is courageous, resilient, and expectant. The midwives had courageous faith. In the midst of hard circumstances, we all have two choices. Will I focus my attention on what's wrong with the world and feel sorry for myself? Or will I focus my energies on how I can live at my best and glorify God at this present moment? That takes courage. That takes something more than willpower. Eugene Peterson wrote this, quote, Jesus said, follow me, and ended up with a lot of losers. And these losers ended up, through no virtue or talent of their own, becoming saints. Jesus wasn't after the best, but the worst. All the persons of faith I know are sinners, doubters, uneven performers. We are secure not because we are sure of ourselves, but because we are sure of the God in whom we trust. Like the midwives to whom Pharaoh turned to support his terrible plans, only to find that they were committed to God's plan, friends, stick to your convictions and follow Jesus and fear God more than man. Faith in God, clinging to Jesus, it also produces resilient faith. We know so well Romans 8.28, knowing that for those who love God, all things work together for good according to his purpose. Please listen closely. The only opportunity you ever have to live by faith is in the circumstances you are in right now, today, where you are in this very moment. You say, well, when my situation changes, then I'll live by faith. Or if I could just go back to the way it used to be or move forward. Friends, it's only right now. In this moment, with whatever cards you're being dealt, you have a choice to live by faith. Someone very wise, most wise, once said, what good will worrying do? What good will, will fretting or, or wishing that we were in some other place or some other time in the past or in the future, what good will that do? How will that add to your life? We are where we are and when we are for a purpose. No one is exempt from hard times. 
Now, I know that there are a number of us here who are experiencing incredibly hard times, painful times. We do not want to be in this place. The Lord's saying, come to me. I will make you resilient. The birth of Moses is a perfect example of God working out salvation down to the last detail. The Bible says that those who love God are those who are called by God, that God has set his favor upon you. So you are where you are for a purpose. Courageous, resilient, and expectant faith. God said in Genesis 46.3, I will go down to Egypt with you, and I will surely bring you back again. But why this way? Why such a long, hard road to freedom? I don't know. But Hebrews 6.12 nails it by insisting that through faith and patience, we inherit the promises of God. To be expectant, God to answer your prayer. The story of baby Moses in a basket is an amazing story of God working in history to triumph over evil. But it is not the whole story. Moses was a savior, but he was not the savior. Like Moses, the son of God was also given a name that matched his destiny. They called him Jesus because he would save his people. He also was not a slave, but a son. And he has come. And he's come for you. So come to Jesus with a positive mindset, knowing that there is no limit to what he can accomplish in your life. Ask the Holy Spirit to give you courage and flexibility, and most of all, joy in the midst of hard times. Don't be discouraged if your prayers go unanswered. Your heavenly Father is teaching you to wait upon him, to trust him with everything. Keep watching, keep praying, keep studying the Bible. God's plans cannot be thwarted. Let us pray. Let us pray. So, Almighty God, we come to you now praying, Jehovah Jireh, God who provides, that you would provide for us, Lord, a faith that is courageous, resilient, and expectant. And Lord God, that you would intercede even now in our lives and in our circumstances to show your hand that you might be glorified in the midst of, of, of your people trusting you by faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Beloved, please stand.